going to get the idea as we uh, start the presentation. We can all sit down, gentlemen, um, that uh, this is a crypto conference. <laughs> and it's not, of course, an alternative asset conference, but one of the hottest alternative assets, of course, is crypto right now. And I think we have a great panel uh, to talk about that with you guys, to talk about DeFi and some of the exciting things that are going on. So uh, I'd like to introduce immediately to my left, uh, Brett Harrison from FTX US, Brett. And most of us, by the way, come from a traditional finance background, I think it's safe to say. Um, and like a lot of you, we've migrated over towards crypto uh, because of the opportunities. Um, and just this is one of the most exciting areas of finance to me. I mean, I'm launching a hedge fund this month, crypto hedge fund. You see me walking around here, please grab me, talk to me. We'll be happy to talk to you about it. Uh, but this is about them, not about me right now. Uh, so Brett Harrison, FTX US, John D'Agostino. When I first really got into crypto, it was John D'Agostino and I uh, that were talking and in some cases with John's partner at the time, traveling over to Europe and Asia, talking about crypto. And Johnny is with Coinbase. I've got Ari Rubenstein from GTS, where he is uh, the co-founder and has some fabulous new news for us, Ari, yes. today. And Thomas Gallagher from Myax, or the Miami Stock Exchange, Options Exchange, Crypto Exchange. Right. Um, and Thomas, of course, it's hard to get more traditional finance than an exchange uh, that is uh, that has broken into the uh, traditional finance space the way Myax has. Um, and Tom and Brett will have to tell you why, out of all the places on earth that they could have put their headquarters, they both put them in high-tax states <laughs> instead of down in Puerto Rico or in Florida. <laughs> but um, let's, in fact, start with Brett Harrison, president of FTX US. Um, Brett, some of the things that are going on in uh, Crypto, of course, uh, Sam was here yesterday, Bankman Fried, and talking about FTX, your FTX US. Describe for the audience quickly maybe what the difference is between the international and the US-based. So FTX US is a spot crypto exchange. Mm -hmm. uh, it was founded about a year ago. Um, we've had enormous growth in the past year. I think back in January, we were doing something like a million dollars a day in spot volume. We're now doing around $200 million a day in spot volume. And we're looking to push into other, especially regulated uh, assets, uh, stocks, derivatives. Uh, most recently, we acquired LedgerX, which is a CFTC regulated DCM, DCO, and CEF, uh, to be able to offer futures and options on crypto uh, to US customers. And why Chicago, Brett? Um, <laughs> because I live there. Yeah, I exactly. <laughs> and from the traditional si finance side, as I said, um, Thomas Gallagher, I'm going to pronounce it like they pronounce it in Ireland, Thomas, because I'm a dual citizen. There you go. <laughs> Me too. Uh, you're all oh, fabulous. Yeah. Well, see, the rest of you guys are jealous now, probably. <laughs> <laughs> um, Thomas, how does a, a regulated traditional exchange like Myax fit in to this uh, new DeFi world? How are you guys making that move? Um, well, thanks for the question, John. Um, I think the way we fit in is by buying... Um, new platforms where we can launch really innovative new products. Uh, 
So last year, we bought the Minneapolis Grain Exchange and the Minneapolis Clearinghouse, one of the oldest clearinghouses, if not the oldest clearinghouse in the United States of America. So what we want to do is we want to bring to market new proprietary products and innovative products that the global trading community can use. And the first one we're bringing to market in the last six months has been our Spikes, our Spikes Futures uh, volatility product that's uh, really gotten off to a great start. Fabulous. And uh, I'm sure those of you in the audience who are active in crypto know that uh, crypto, in particular Bitcoin, uh, that I trade a lot of derivatives on, is in the neighborhood of uh, five times to 12 times the volatility of the S&P 500. Um, right. And so and your spikes product, of course, is on traditional stocks uh, rather than crypto. But that's probably going to be one of the next moves, I'm betting. Well, with the, with the licenses we have, John, we can pivot. Uh, no one knows where this is going to end up in terms of the regulatory bodies that are going to be looking at things, whether it's the SEC or the CFTC. So owning U.S. stock exchanges and options exchanges and a futures exchange uh, gives us the ability to kind of be, be ready, whether it's the CFTC looking at crypto derivatives or the SEC looking at an ETP. Uh, spanning both uh, regulatory regimes is one of the reasons that um, we wanted to get into Minneapolis. Fabulous. Um, John D'Augustino and Coinbase, um, you guys, of course, have been in the news, and Ari's got some news that he broke this morning, and he's going to break even more to you guys here. Um, but, Johnny, you guys have been in the news, and you haven't wanted to be in the news because the SEC has been saying to uh, Coinbase, well, you know, what about this lending and all the rest? Um, tell us a little bit about some of the challenges that you have when you're trying to have a discussion with a regulator that you don't even know if they really regulate you. <laughs> well, thanks for the easy and uh, not at all uncomfortable question. Uh, of course. Softball, softball, big announcement. Uh, <laughs> to I uh, really appreciate that. So I'm going to show you I'm gonna give a, 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 an expert's lesson in how to di answer and divert. Okay. Uh, which I'm going to do right now. Um, look, You've always been good at that. Look, you know, we, we go way back. I was head of strategy for the New York Mercantile Exchange. Um, uh, exchanges as price discovery mechanisms are, you know, fascinating vehicles. They're always going to be at the forefront of uh, a relationship with the government because they are they're the last legal monopolies. Mm -hmm. They're essential to the critical financial infrastructure. When 9-11 uh, hit, the NYMEX was one of the first entities that the U.S. government wanted open. We were flown over on helicopters to get it open. That's their absolutely essential. Um, and so by definition, because of that critical importance, they're going to, when they innovate, have massive uh, repercussions for the entire economy, and therefore the government's going to be watching and regulators are watching very, very closely. So I don't think it's unusual that anyone here, because everyone here is looking to innovate in the exchange space, um, is going to have to engage and evolve. Um, and so uh, if, if, if those things aren't happening, that means you're not moving forward. Well, and that's a great diversion, John. <laughs> and I'll say it for him that I think it should have been the Office of the Controller of the Currency, or perhaps even CFTC, if somebody's going to talk to Coinbase about regulation, not the SEC. But well, you're not be, saying that's that that's got to be worked me. out, right? That's got to be worked out, right? They have to work that out. And, and it took people forget it took. I mean, look, you try trading compo swaps versus single asset swaps, right? You're dealing with the CFTC versus the SEC. So, mm -hmm. so that 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 um 
tension and that land grab has existed way before crypto. It'll exist way beyond crypto. So we can't um, control that. That's going to that's gonna happen. We can only just keep an eye on what's going on and try to make everybody happy to the degree possible. Great. Thank you, John. And sorry about the uh, the, the fast yeah, no, fall. Now on to Ari's great announcement. Someone's got it. We'll, uh, <laughs> a rough. Yeah. yeah. And I thought oh. when I when we were going to talk uh, with Ari today that I'd be talking about Pith and Virtu and jump trading and all this, but all of a sudden you guys broke news this morning through a Wall Street Journal story, Ari. Uh, tell us a little bit about Radical with this radical investor that he brought in for Radical, Stevie Cohen. Well, you know, you the, tell us the rest rather than me tell the story. I had nothing to do with the timing. <laughs> nothing. But thanks, John. Sure. Uh, radical is a, a digital asset trading and invest, investment business. And our goal is to provide liquidity to the marketplace, make the markets more efficient that way, and, and ease the access for uh, investors to get involved in digital investing. Um, and you know, we were talking earlier, it reminded me of what we did with GTS. Uh, GTS right now is a, uh, a global electronic trading business. We're uh, one of the largest market makers on the New York Stock Exchange. We provide liquidity to uh, all sorts of investors, retail investors, institutional investors. On a daily basis, we might trade 5% of US equity markets. Um, and now we're, uh, we trade nearly 20% of the grayscale Bitcoin trusts, which have become a huge business. And really what happened 20 years ago, I was a floor trader on the commodity markets um, uh, in the 90s when everything was traded open outcry in a pit. And um, very quickly, they went all electronic. Uh, your partner was a big, big part of that. And um, investors at the time were very apprehensive because you had all of these different um, centers with complicated technology protocols where trading was happening. So it became very fragmented. So what GTS did was we had a very sophisticated technology. We were able to figure out how to write to all of these different venues and produce algorithmic pricing in securities and bring that efficient pricing to investors, whether it was uh, anonymously on uh, the exchanges or directly. And the same thing is going to happen in the digital asset space. There are, it's even more multidimensional and more complicated with centralized and decentralized protocols, uh, staking, yield farming. All of these things are going to influence the digital asset prices. So we need scale liquidity providers to come in and do two things. Provide accurate pricing by leveraging technology to connect up to all of these different protocols and provide risk transfer services, which is a fancy way of saying will hold inventory in different securities as, as a dealer. Once that starts to happen, all of the things that everyone at this conference are talking about, where there'll, there'll, there'll be more mainstream institutional investors in, like your business, in uh, crypto are gonna happen because there'll be more liquidity, there'll be, even let, there'll be less volatility, and larger institutions who have large size to move will feel more and more comfortable net of all risks to get involved. So we're really excited about it. And, and Radical will be uh, a separate business uh, from GTS. It'll, it'll leverage uh, a lot of the technology and, and experience we have at GTS, but it'll be a separate global business. Yeah, and for those of you uh, who have watched CNBC, Bloomberg, anybody, and seen the New York Stock Exchange, you've seen their logo everywhere, GTS. And you know a billion shares a day or something like that 
goes through. Sometimes, not every single day. Not every not single every day, single. but it's right. close to a But bill. sometimes. But it's, it's interesting. Days. Slow days, right. Yeah. Um, you know, you mentioned the New York Stock Exchange, and GTS has been the leader in the last five years in um, in IPOs, essentially being the secondary market liquidity provider on, on IPOs down at the exchange. But what I, I think you could see happen, um, and what a lot of folks at the conference talked about, is that companies themselves might be thinking about um, raising money in different ways than the traditional IPO route. Um, and, and I see that, because we talk to a lot of these companies at early stages before they're, they go public. Um, but I, I, I believe we're gonna, the future is gonna, is gonna be one where companies are raising money differently and they're, they're accessing the capital markets differently. So we intend to take some of that experience and bring it into the, uh, the digital space as well. Brett, with uh, the new challenge you've got coming over from Citadel traditional side, over into FTX, and like you say, more or less, I guess, Sam picking you to head up FTX US, be the president here. Um, a lot of that is because of your traditional finance background, but also applying some of those things that, of course, we've been following what Solana and FTX have been doing in terms of this central limit order book and things like that. What can you tell us about the sort of liquidity that you guys are you know, drawing into uh, FTX US and so forth. So as you said, the, the builders, the founders of, of FTX, a lot of us come from the traditional finance background, which means we understand what it means to not just build an exchange, but to trade on exchanges. We know what traders need in order to have a platform that's reliable, that's scalable, that has great uptime, that has good margining and risk systems. And so FTX from the scratch it was really built for institutions. So we've attracted uh, huge liquidity pools from, you know, name your favorite high frequency trading firm, hedge funds, uh, you know, big institutions are trading with us. And, you know, we're now really starting to go the other direction and doing, you know, user acquisition more in the retail space. But that's primarily been, you know, our big push has been with the big institutions, um, which is, again, why we're so interested in, um, working with the regulators in the U.S., the CFTC, the SEC, to bring regulated products uh, to the U.S. space because there's so much institutional demand for things like um, NDFs on Bitcoin or you know, options on Ether. And we will see even more you know, the explosion of the institutional demand for these products as it starts to overlap more with the, the kind of liquidity they're used to providing on exchanges like more traditional exchanges. Mm -hmm. And Johnny, uh, now with Coinbase, but as you said, starting the career and really growing yourself and your exposure with commodities in particular, and then looking to new asset classes, no big surprise that, you know, you get grabbed by Coinbase and charged with, you know, helping build liquidity out of all these, you know, basically 22 million accounts that Coinbase already has plus the institutional side. Well, he, he's given me the thumbs up like 25 million, 30 million. As, as the, since we're now? public, I can say, just look at the filings. But yeah, it's, it's a, the, acquisition, the, the rising tide has lifted all the boats, including, including us. Yeah. And as far as um, providing that liquidity in these new asset classes, the fact that you've gathered this much on the retail side, yep. and yet Coinbase Pro also uh, is a liquidity pool that 
you guys hope to um, use one side to feed the other, if you will? Well, look, I mean, there, 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 it's, in, it's encouraging to me to hear how good, uh, how well Brett's doing, uh, because I, I, I generally believe, and I believe this, I believe this since the days of NYMEX ICE, where we were, I remember the NYMEX board saying, let's kill ICE. And I remember saying, well, hold on, when we overlap trading hours, our volume spike by 30%. So, so mm -hmm. uh, tra traders love oligopolies. They don't want all of their order flow in one place. So there's not going to be one winner. There's going to be multiple reputable, regulated, uh, lit market winners. And the basis trading and the innovation, because you know, the stuff Brett's talking about, um, we're all going to be pushing each other and competing with each other. You know, in my experience, you, know, if you sit with a whiteboard and you create a, a beautifully structured options contract or some type of risk that you think is going to be traded and work, and it flops. And you don't know why it flops. It flops for a variety of reasons. And so it takes, it takes a lot of energy. It takes a lot of innovation. Um, we're lucky to have scale. Scale is 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 a significant competitive advantage uh, in the uh, in the exchange space, but we need we need others, and uh, that that activity and that variance trading is going to really get more and more institutional investors excited, uh, because you know having having one trading venue or having one type of product is like having one soccer team. Uh, there's no one to play against. It gets gets boring really really fast. So um, uh, it, it's it's encouraging to see all the success. It's encouraging to see all the innovation. Because in the mix of all this innovation, we're going to see what the next big contract is. I agree. Um, I think it's going to be, uh, like I say, we, we avail ourselves. We're, we're derivatives traders. This week marks my 40th year as a trader. Um, I started in Chicago, still live part of the year in Chicago, part of the year in Puerto Rico. Um, but because I love kite surfing. Um, and <laughs> that's always my reason for Puerto Rico. Um, but I, I think that a lot of what these guys are talking about here and a lot of what you guys look for either in the investments you make or the businesses that you guys are running is uh, access to liquidity pools. And so what John just touched on is that access. What Ari talks about all the time is uh, that access. So the fact, Ari, that PIF um, uh, has become so big so fast and the jump trading yourselves and Virtu are on that platform, and yet there'll be dozens more yeah. um, pushing throughput through their 50,000 transactions a second sort of thing versus you know 12 or 20 um, ether or whatever. John, I, mean, I don't know if you realize, but MyX was the first uh, U.S. exchange group to participate in the Pyth network through the Bermuda Stock Exchange. And go. we uh, went live earlier this week, and it wasn't by accident that we got approached by the foundation, the Pith Foundation. Mm -hmm. They saw what we had done creating liquidity over the last eight years in the U.S. in the multi-listed options. Uh, this year, we're number 15 in the world. We didn't exist. We did not exist eight years ago. And so we got that call early, and I thought about it, and I said, you know what? This is really the cutting edge. We're going to leapfrog several generations of technology. We want to be a part of it. So obviously others have announced, IEX is announced behind us. We were the first one and we went up uh, live uh, and it's going well this week. Well, and you guys have the benefit, Thomas, if you don't mind me saying so, of a lot of, uh, I was lucky enough to sell a firm to E-Trade folks in 2016. Uh, you guys have seen how traditional brokers like that many times bolt on things on top of their existing platform. And it's kind of wonky the way it works then. Uh, but you guys were lucky to be able to start out after 
the International Securities Exchange, the other ICE instead of the yes. Intercontinental that John spoke of. Um, but uh, you guys, starting eight years ago, have been able to start with a clean slate yep. without some of the legacy issues. So how important is that technology to allow you to make that first move, Thomas, um, into uh, PIF and other, some of well, these exciting protocols? Uh, the whole basis, the whole thesis for MyX was that you could innovate, you could invest in technology, invest in people, and keep them together. And that innovation and that technology, um, we've been up now almost eight and a half years, John. We've had two outages. So you talk about five nines reliability. Mm -hmm. You look at the incumbents, and I'm not being disrespectful to them, but we've had two or three down incidents since 2012. And we're a brand new exchange, built all the technology in-house. So we started with the options uh, issue because it's much harder technology-wise. We have 11 market makers trading 1.1 million securities at any given moment, and they may want to refresh their prices. So we created liquidity as a result of good technology, uh, partnering with our members, who now own about 33% of us. I don't know if you realize that. And um, so we think we can bring that know-how, how, um, how to build an ecosystem and how to bring flow. And we're gonna put that effort into things like Pyth, and we're really proud about it. And I have to applaud um, the folks on the panel who are looking at this next generation and looking at it thoughtfully. Mm -hmm. Thank you, Thomas. Uh, Ari, as far as this Pyth network well, I think and the me, speed of that It's a very network, interesting experiment. Because that's that how, you have to have that. Yeah. You, a human being can't step in front of high frequency. No. You but, can but access I think liquidity what's, there. What's interesting about the architecture there, because what, 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 what Pith is, is just a building block. Um, and it, but it's also the potential connection between decentralized trading and centralized trading. And uh, a connection between the trading of, of something real and spot and trading of, of things that are based off of that in... Uh, a digital digital way. So it's not just the equity markets, which is what Pith is, but it could end up ushering in a tremendous, a tremendous amount of secondary market activity in things, in things that there isn't a secondary market today. Um, so that, you know, our interest in, you know, is twofold. We believe our responsibility is to supply technology to create efficiency and liquidity in any market. Our technology is infinitely scalable. Today, we're, we make a market in a half a million instruments, but you know, in a few years, it could be a five billion instruments. And we see digital assets explode us, the secondary market exploding, um, and uh, both in centralized and decentralized manners, and oracles are gonna be very, very important for that. Um, so it's something to watch out for. And so far, it's been a, a pretty big success. Oh, yeah, I'd yeah. say so. Um, Brett, with uh, the Ledger uh, acquisition, how do you guys see that playing into your strategy at FTX US? Sure. So what makes Ledger X special, especially as an acquisition target for FTX US, mm -hmm. um, is that so in order to be able to offer derivatives in the US, you need to be licensed by the CFTC. And there are a few different licenses that are relevant here. Uh, there's a DCM, the designated contract market, which allows our one to become an exchange. 
actually host the matching engine for derivative products. Um, there is a Ceph or swap execution facility, which allows you to basically print uh, swap trades between two different eligible contract participants. And then there's the DCO or the derivatives clearing organization, which is the clearinghouse, of which there are very few in the US. And MJEX, the Minneapolis brain, is, is also one of them. So Ledger X has all three of those licenses, um, which took an enormous amount of time and effort and dedication and constant collaboration and dialogue with the CFTC to get them comfortable with the kind of model that LedgerX wants, wanted to do, which is this disintermediated model where LedgerX can offer derivative contracts, not just to institutions, but directly to retail. And that fits in very well with the FTX and FTX US strategy, which is, you know, FTX is not just a matching engine. Uh, we are also a custodian, we're, you know, we're a money transmitter, we are a payment service, we're an NFT marketplace, we are an iPhone app, we're a web app, we have the full stack. And so what we think could be incredibly unique for our strategy in terms of bringing these kinds of products to the US masses is that we can provide not just that whole vertical stack for spot cryptocurrency, you know, Bitcoin, USD, Ethereum, USD, but also for these derivative contracts, which have enormous amount of interest from the institution and retail user base. And so we're, we're very excited to be able to integrate these two platforms together over the coming months and year um, to be able to kind of put LedgerX and FTX together behind the FTX front end and offer those products in our usual way to our customers. The more we get a direct connection to those sorts of things, the better the liquidity pools are going to be. Um, one of the things, folks, that I uh, look at when I look at some of these volatile moves that, uh, for instance, Bitcoin made last week, um, uh, that whatever, uh, $3.5 billion worth of liquidations, $3.5 billion worth of liquidations on a $2 trillion market, or in the case of Bitcoin itself, nearly a trillion dollar market, shouldn't really make as much of a difference, but it's the leverage that these folks are using um, that, you know, or misusing, because some of that 20 to 1, 50 to 1, 100 to 1 offshore leverage that folks have, that's one of the things that I think the regulator, uh, in a DeFi world, how do you deal with that? How do you deal with the fact that there are Deribit and others offshore that are offering that kind of offshore liquidity, not liquidity, uh, leverage, um, when domestically people can't access that kind of leverage? Well, I, I would just say, you know, we're, we're, we're in early days. I mean, this is, you know, I think the garage band days of, of, uh, of, this, uh, of this industry. And I remember when, when we first started automating our trading systems, we were one of the first ones to connect directly to the matching engines. And with this one exchange, which I'm not going to mention, we connected right into the matching engine. I don't even think the exchange had any idea. And we were sending an obscene amount of order flow. This is in like early to mid 2000s. And I mean, it's, it's like I cringed to think about it. And, and we had the servers stacked up in, in, in this office, overheating. And there, were, there, weren't any there wasn't any market access rules. There were no regulations with regards to what we were doing. I, I think I had you know, maybe a few million dollars in my account and we had like billions of dollars of open, open orders trading. But the, these were our capital markets and we ended up being part of some of the uh, input for some of the market access rules that came, that came about in the later part of the 2000s. Uh, and we ended up commercializing our risk management platform 
that would risk manage direct access flows. And I, and I bring that up because we're in those early stages where not just in, in, in leverage, but connectivity, resiliency, the market is vulnerable and is going to be volatile. And it's up to us to get involved and bring our experience and our technology, which over time will increase the amount of liquidity available, increase the resiliency, um, regulators will catch up and write rules. Uh, I think the sequencing of that is going to be very, a lot more tumultuous than people would like. I don't think you know they're, they're ready to do vinyasa yoga with everybody in, in the morning, but um, eventually it, it'll catch up and um, the markets will be more stable and more appropriate, I think, for scale institutional players. That's going to happen. Yeah, Johnny, if, you, if, look, if, you, if your business model is to... Is to uh, target and grant excessive amounts of leverage to retail investors, I'm not sure uh, that's sustainable long-term. And I'm s very confident that the rest of the market will grow to a point where it'll temper the, 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 it will temper the volatility of that, of that business model. Mm -hmm. so, um, so it's something to be careful about. Uh, but I, I, don't, I don't know if over time, as the overall breadth and depth of the market continues to grow as it's growing, um, that, that, that should hopefully uh, start to, start to be um, modified a little bit. Right. Even I, on the international platform for FTX, you know, there are larger amounts of leverage offered sort of as a default parameter, but for the, the average leverage on the platform is somewhere between two and three X. Um, and it's varies based on, for example, the size of the position, the volatility of the asset. So one thing we're seeing is even though there's no, you know, SRO for crypto, there's no existing you know ground rules for how these things are supposed to happen it, it the exchanges are incentivized to have orderly and fair markets and that's what enables you know something like ftx to be able to handle the you know multiple billions of dollars worth of derivative trading that's happening every day and it's up to us to police that and enforce that and so i think that what we've seen over time is yes the platforms which have you know encouraged irresponsible leverage are not going to win in the long run. And I think we're already seeing that. And the ones that do make sure that we're having reasonable risk parameters around leverage are going to last. Right. Well, and for, for instance, some of the comparisons US to uh, uh, offshore leverage, Thomas, uh, when I look at the CME and I see the open interest on the CME contracts, for instance, the derivatives, uh, whether it's the futures or the options, um, it's one tenth of what's trading overseas, and yet the spreads are much better versus what we're seeing overseas. So that maybe plays into what Brett just said and John as well, uh, as far as people eventually, not only do they blow themselves up, but they get tired of having the spreads be wide um, and they need that liquidity to tighten up those spreads to what Ari's saying, but I'll throw it to you first, Thomas. Well, um... I'm having a little trouble hearing the question, but one of the things I think is coming is more regulation. And whether it's looking at margins, leverage, um, who's trading on platforms. Um, Jay Clayton, about three or four years ago, said that a lot of these digital securities are securities, and he sits on the ninth floor with the commissioners. Mm -hmm. But the people that actually have to make the functional regulatory changes to allow crypto derivatives and these type of securities to trade are on the fourth floor. It's gonna take some time to figure this out. Mm -hmm. So when you talk about the margins and the leverage overseas, I think you're looking at three or four years before the regulatory regimes that actually create 
the trading regulations are going to be ready. So I applaud people like Sam and um, the guys on the panel here for buying something like Ledger X to adopt uh, a regulated environment because it's coming. Mm -hmm. And I think uh, my strategy is we bought the Bermuda Stock Exchange because they've embraced digital securities in a big way, the DABA Act. Bermuda's had some tough challenges the last 18 months with COVID and um, a big part of their economy is seized up. So we found it a welcoming place to start doing digital securities opportunities while the US regulatory regime figures out exactly how some of these products are gonna be margin traded, listed and cleared. So um, I think having a dual strategy will help us. But I do think regulatory uh, regimes, whether it's the CFTC or the SEC, they're gonna start to develop the specifics and we need to be ready for it. Ari, how much do you guys access some of that offshore? Uh, you know, if, you, if, if your algorithm determines that things are too much one way or the other, do you guys access that well, overseas as on well? On the GTS then? side, it's our responsibility to access liquidity wherever it's, it's being priced. Mm -hmm. um, so, uh, and, and how it's being priced. And, you know, you have uh, uh, obviously spot and you have derivatives and, and, and our markets today, I'm talking about the traditional financial markets are very much uh, inter, interconnected, uh, which is why uh, pr securities prices reflect investor sentiment so fast now. You've heard things like flash crash, flash rally, all that means is that uh, um, the, the markets move very quickly and they, they reflect that sentiment very quickly because they're all connected and, and you know, fairly automated. Uh, Radical just launched, so uh, we're actually not live. We'll be live trading in 48 days. Mm -hmm. um, so we're, we're actually not in production yet, but uh, we intend to take that experience in pricing multi-dimensional instruments that are traded in, on, you know, across the world in, in, with different techn technology protocols and synthesize them into prices that investors can uh, consume. So we, well, we will be overseas. We'll be, we intend to have uh, um, personnel all over the world. John, retail versus institutional and the liquidity that you guys provide there. Yeah. Um, obviously the mix has been evening out a little bit, but it's still very heavy on the retail side through Coinbase, no? Yeah, I mean, just because the, the law of large numbers, right? This is, it grew so incredibly rapidly, even the success of the institutional side looks small in comparison. But, but as, as, with, as with Brett, you know, we're growing very, very fast on the institutional side, which is what I represent. Um, the, you, you talked before about the, the sustained um, vol that exists in even the very sizable market. Well, that has repercussions, which scale helps, with scale assists. So when that, that price move you talked about, we're still seeing between the different liquidity pools onshore, offshore for Bitcoin, uh, price inversions we're seeing, which are significant. So if you don't have the scale and the capital, because it's expensive to put capital at all these venues and to be able to access them, mm -hmm. then your customers are not getting the benefit of, of, of best pricing. So I, I, again, I think that you're going to see the players on this stage continue to grow because they're, at least from the hedge fund institutional investor side, there's significant advantages to that. There's, you, 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 you need... Ari, and we need Radical to um, start trading a billion lots a day or a billion round turns a day because that's what's going to start to temper some of these price differentials. But until that happens, um, you've got to be there and you've got to be willing to give your customer uh, access to those menus. Yeah. Brett, uh, you guys are plugged into virtually everything. 
um, both domestic and offshore, in order to do exactly what John just described. Do you see that as more and more of your competitors doing the same thing? That they have that's the price to pay to enter the game is you have to be able to access those liquidity pools and or those price points. Otherwise, your customers say, I'm not really getting the best price in this market. I think it's interesting that, you know, the spot exchange is a, is a very competitive business in the U.S. And, you know, there's only so much one can do with offering the same sort of suite of products, you know, to be able to trade, you know, your basic uh, crypto pairs on exchanges. And so what we're seeing is there's all this innovation of the spot exchanges moving into different niches. And I think that there's a lot of room for, you know, Coinbase, for FTX US, for a lot of our competitors to sort of coexist and do different things. So for FTX, you know, it's been primarily, you know, grown up as a offshore derivatives exchange. Mm -hmm. um, but now we're coming onshore. I'm sure Coinbase has plans for, you know, international expansion. And we welcome that because, the, you know, the international markets are not as mature and well-developed and well organized and self-regulated as we have been in the U.S. in general. And being able to bring more of our sort of like-minded competitors into the space, you know, on the foreign side will eventually help those markets mature and be seen as important institutions globally and not treated as something that is, you know, the Wild West or something like that. Um, so I think that is, you know, it's going to be an important part of the, of the development there. Thomas, uh, I mean, again, I applaud you for the moves you guys have made so quickly into things, into uh, liquidity pools like PIP. Um, do you see these other 16 or, you know, the, the other exchanges that, that you regularly compete with following your lead very quickly or can they not because of that technology issue that we discussed earlier? Um, I, I think that... And we're we, in our final minute, by the yeah, way. Yeah, I think that we have some advantages that we can pivot quickly. The other thing is, I don't have a huge data business. So the New York Stock Exchange and NASDAQ and SIBO, everybody's complaining about the cost of data. I don't have that problem because our, we don't have a data business. So being able to sell our, distribute our equities pricing um, vigorously with putting a lot of technology behind it is where I think we gain our advantage. All right. Well. Ladies and gentlemen, um, if you wouldn't mind giving these gentlemen a hand for a great crypto panel.